But this morning, we're starting a series on heaven. And when I was thinking about this series, there were a few voices that I really wanted you to hear from. And one of them is Mark Freeman. Mark served for years as a pastor at Grace Assembly of God out in the Camillus area. And now he serves as the communications director for the New York Assemblies of God. And uh, one of, Mark, beyond being a great friend uh, and someone that I really trust and respect, he actually has done a lot of work for us, designed a lot of the things you see around our building. But one of the enduring images I will have always of Mark is when he stood up with his heart broken in front of a room full of people with broken hearts and read from the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, this beautiful passage about what heaven will be like. And my hope for you this morning is that the hope of heaven that flooded that room that day will be present today to encourage and strengthen your hearts. Would you guys put your hands together and welcome Pastor Mark Freeman. And I'm thankful to be able to share with you. Thanks for trusting me to be able to share with, uh, with you guys this morning as well, Pastor David. I'm grateful to be here. And um, as Pastor David said, he's asked me to share some things that I have learned in my life experiences, but also in my years of relationship with Jesus. And my hope today is that uh, this message will bring you hope. This message will be encouraging to you and uh, that we'll realize together that our hope is in heaven because of the work of Jesus this morning. And so I don't just share these thoughts with you this morning as, uh, as a pastor, but I share them with you as a sinner saved by grace, uh, one who has put his faith and hope in Jesus and have found him to be the true source of hope in my life. Um, this word hope, and, and I listened to the message last week as well as Pastor Rashad shared about hope, and the songs that we sing are about hope, and we, we can realize pretty quickly that we are a people obsessed with hope. Um, it is something that we are always going after, and, and, and it doesn't take us very long to see everything that we do is fueled by hope. Uh, the beginning of the school year, sorry if you're getting ready to head back to school, both as a teacher and a student, uh, but the beginning of the school year is a season of hope, right? It's an opportunity for something new. It's an opportunity uh, to change. If maybe you weren't a great student last year, there's the hope of things starting fresh this year. Maybe you didn't care for your teachers or you didn't care for the class that you had, and this year is a season of hope. It's starting over. It's starting fresh and starting new, there's so much hope, right? There's nothing more hopeful than a brand new pair of sneakers, a great new shirt and pants to head to school, right? You got your backpack ready to go. There is hope on the first day of school. And as kids, we hope that the other kids in school will like us, right? We hope that our teacher will be nice. Our girls just got the letter in the mail yesterday of who their teachers are gonna be for this coming year. And there's so much hope and anticipation of that letter arriving. We hope that we'll have certain kids in our classes, right? We texted all of their friends and like, who do you have as a teacher? Who are you going to be with next year, right? There's also this hope that they'll make it to the bathroom on time, right? As teenagers, we, they, we hope that we'll fit in. We hope that we'll pass the math test. We hope that they won't see that stain on our pants. We'll hope that we're wearing the right pants, right? We're hoping that that, that special guy or girl will notice us this year. So much hope. As adults, the same is true. We hope that our kids will grow up healthy and happy. We hope that we like the people that we work at with. We hope that we like the work that we do. We hope that we'll get that promotion. And we also hope that we'll make it to the bathroom on time. Not much changes. 
What we're searching for is a hope that won't disappoint, a hope that won't leave us hopeless in the end. And what we all want to convince ourselves is that what we place our hope in will deliver. So what is it that we're asking for when we put our hope in something? When you place your hope in something, what are you asking it to deliver? We're asking it to give us peace in our hearts. We're asking it to give our lives meaning and purpose and direction. We're asking it to give us a reason to continue. We're asking whatever we place our hope in, we're asking it for us to get through difficulty and disappointment. You're asking it to free you from anxiety and envy. You're asking it to give you joy in the morning and rest at night. Now that's a lot to put to ask for anything to put your hope in. And the fact confronts us this morning that if our hope disappoints us, then are we putting our hope in the right things? In my over 40 years of experience, I have found this one truth that has steered the course of my life. And it's that everything that I need for this life and the one to come is found in Jesus Christ. It's found in the work of Christ. It's found in relationship with Christ. It's found in what has been done on my behalf through the person and work of Jesus. Everything that I need for identity, everything that I need for purpose and meaning, everything that I need for direction in my life, everything that I need for significance and hope is found in relationship with God. But I've also learned that there are certain seasons and times in life where that hope comes a little harder to find. There are certain seasons in our life where those answers don't come quite as easily. Hoping in Jesus does not mean immunity from hurt and pain. Uh, as Pastor David alluded to, my, my life is not foreign to hurt and pain and grief. And I want to share a little bit of my story with you this morning, not as a way for you to feel bad for me, but for a way for us to understand what God is doing and how we can put our hope and our trust in him. See, as Christians, sometimes we get this false impression to other believers that once we become a follower of Jesus, our problems go away. We have Jesus in our life. We have love. We have hope. We have everything that we need to move forward. But the reality is, while we live on this side of eternity, sin still permeates everything in our life. And yes, we have a rescuer from it, but being a Christian does not mean an immunity card from hurt and pain and grief. In fact, it was even easy for me to believe that being a pastor, giving my life to Jesus, should mean that God owes me something, that I deserve something that, that I think is better because, God, I've given my life to you. I'm a dad of, if, if you've been here with us before, you've heard my stories, but I'm a dad of five daughters. I'm a, I'm a girl dad, and I love being a girl dad. And, uh, and, and seven years ago, tragedy entered our family as at seven months old, our youngest daughter was called home, home to heaven, passed in her, in her sleep with no reason, no explanation, no understanding, and I can remember so vividly, so many things. One, knowing and trusting and believing with 100% of my heart that God could raise her from the dead. I knew it. In fact, I knew that even days later after that experience that we could wake up one morning and she could just be laying in the crib still. And that, that is the God that I serve. 
But there's this conflict in my heart because it has not been fully restored that I also was like, I, I, I could find moments where I could shake my fist and say, God, I've given my life to you. We were in ministry, doing ministry, serving God when she was taken from us. What kind of justice is that? And yet, I, as I began to understand in the healing process and in the process of grief and the process of God bringing comfort to my heart, I began to understand I'm not owed anything. But I also began to understand very clearly I was not alone. I don't want you to just take my word for it, though. Yes, I've lived out this relationship with God, and I've learned a lot of things navigating these seasons of life, but the Bible has a lot to tell us about what it means to go through seasons of storm, seasons of grief, seasons of hurt, seasons of pain, and I want to take a look at that this morning. I love it. it it's amazing when God... God knows what's happening. Sometimes the individual pieces of us here on earth don't understand fully what's happening. But one of the things in our meeting this morning, they talked about the idea they were going to sing a song about the names of God, and they were going to spend some time spent talking about the names of God. And actually, that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit this morning for us as well. And I love that there's, I love the great richness in the Greek and Hebrew languages because they're so much more descriptive than the English language, right? In the English language, we kind of have one word for God, and not surprisingly, it's the word God, right? Yeah, that makes sense. But, but in the Greek and Hebrew languages, there is so many cool ways to think about who God is by the names that they have for God, to, to, to understand and describe every little nuance and specific aspect of his nature. For example, there is Jehovah Jireh, we saw this morning, which is God, my provider. There's Jehovah Rapha, which is God, my healer. There's also El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. But this morning, I want to focus on a name that wasn't up on the board, but one that I think will help us this morning. And it is El Roy, the God who sees me, the God who comforts me, the strong one who sees our trouble and gives his people guidance and comfort, El Roy. You see, he is the God of comfort. He is the God who sees us and knows us intimately, and he will not disappoint. When our hope is waning and we don't, we don't need to remind God that our hearts are hurting or that we're grieving or that we are in pain. In fact, we cry out to God because we aren't trying to make him aware of our hurt and suffering. We cry out to him because we know that in his presence we can find comfort for the hurt that we have. And so whether you find yourself in a season this morning of hurting and grieving, maybe it's a season that you have come through, maybe it's a season you're about to walk into, or maybe God has placed you strategically in relationship with those that you can be a comfort to, that you can hold their hands up and their head up when they are grieving and suffering. This morning, I want us to cling to El Roy, God, our comforter. And so I want to take a look at a story in the Gospel of Mark. And I don't just pick the Gospel of Mark because it's my favorite Gospel of the Bible. But there is a story in here I want us to take a look to. So if you have your Bible or some kind of Bible with you, um, take a look at Mark chapter 4. And we're going to actually start looking in verse 35. And where we are up to this point in the story is Jesus has just spent a lot of time sharing um, some different parables. And if you, you've been through some of the series here at, at, uh, at Trinity, you understand God used stories to explain things about heaven and about himself and about God the Father and our relationship with him. And, and, and Jesus has just spent a lot of time out on a boat. In fact, there were so many people, they had to move out on a boat so he could communicate to everyone. They could all see him and hear him. And uh, the story picks up where we're going to pick up here as 
um, they, they're, he, Jesus is done teaching and they retreat to the boat and Jesus is like, hey, let's head across to the other side of the lake. And so we're going to pick up the story here in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Verse 38, Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he, rebu he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. So what can we learn from this story this morning? One of the things that we have to assume is that this was no ordinary storm. You see, the, the majority of Jesus' followers were, had one time been, a, been professional fishermen. They were used to being on the water. They were it was like almost their natural habitat to be on the water. And no doubt they would have experienced tons of storms. They would have almost known instinctively how to deal with storms on the water. They would not have feared them. But this is a very unique storm because this has them in a panic. It has them terrified. So this is not an ordinary storm that's taking place. And the same thing can be true of the storms in our lives. Yes, in our life there's ebbs and flows and there's storms and there's hurt and there's pain and all sorts of different things that we deal with on this side of eternity because of the, the, the way that sin has permeated everything in our lives. But there are certain seasons and certain storms in our lives that we can't handle on our own. Certain seasons and storms that, that make us fear and, and make us concerned and to the point of losing hope, we're drowning. We can't handle it on our own. We're overwhelmed by the storms of life. This is one that only the teacher, only the master knows how to deal with. And so the disciples go down to where Jesus is sleeping. But there's something very peculiar, peculiar about this story. If we are to assume that this storm is so violent and so bad that these professional fishermen are terrified by the way that the boat is being overcome by the waves, and yet Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a pillow. Now, I don't know about you, but I got to find me one of those pillows, right? I can't even handle a rolling next to me, much less a boat that is about to go down. That is one of the best pillows that ever existed. But I wonder, and I don't know for sure, but I wonder if Jesus was just waiting down in the boat with his eyes closed, waiting for the disciples to come and get him. How many times as parents have we watched and waited for our children to ask us for help so that we can come and rescue him? If you're a parent, if you're a dad or a mom, or, uh, or if you've ever watched kids before, you, there's different ways that they can sit, call out your name, right? There's different, there's different types of dads when you're in your house and you're not on the same level as them or they're somewhere near you. There's, the, there, there's this, I need something dad, right? Which is this little hopeful like, dad? You're like, uh-oh, I'm about to be asked for something, right? There's the annoyed dad. Like when dad makes his great jokes that their kids don't appreciate, there's the dad, Right? Or when the, the siblings are annoying them, they're like, dad, right? That's the, I got to take care of something here, right? There's the dad, I'm hurt, right? There's the dad, dad, right? And then there's the, then there's the dad, which is the come kill a bug, dad. And then there's the most terrifying of all the dads, and it's this dad. 
Dad, are you awake? <laughs> right? Well, to which I say, no, but your mother is. <laughs> right? There's different types of dads, and when we hear our children's voice, we rush into action to rescue them. Perhaps another way of interpreting the actions of Jesus is that even when the storms were raging all around them, he was not disturbed until he heard the cries of the ones that he loved. Jesus wasn't bothered by the howling of the storm, but as soon as those that he loved came near to him and called his name, he immediately responded. in, In Psalm 145, verse 18, it tells us that the Lord is as close as the mention of his name. And if this is true in our relationship with God today, he is eagerly awaiting for us to call out his name so that he can come and comfort us as well. We learn something else in these comments of the disciples that that took place in verse 38 of this passage, that in their fearful, desperate, hopeless plea, they say to Jesus, don't you care if we drowned? You see, I think in the dark seasons of our lives, we picture Jesus up in heaven, sitting on a throne, sitting on a cushion, uncaring about the pain and the hurt that we feel, almost unsympathetic to our circumstances and our situations. And in our darkest seasons, in our hardest moments, we find ourselves shaking our fists or we find ourselves pleading to God saying, don't you care that I'm drowning? Because we know he has the ability to step in and intervene, and yet he feels sometimes so far away from us. And we find ourselves crying out, don't you care, I'm drowning in my grief. But find hope today in the fact that God is El Roy. He sees us. He sees our trouble and he gives us guidance and comfort. And when we call out to him, he moves because he loves us. But be aware that this story this morning is not a prescriptive story for us. We are not to learn from this story that if I just say the right words or if I genuinely mean it or if I really cling to God, then he will step into our life and he will say, silence, be still, and there will be a great calm in the storms and seasons of our life. Yes, I 100% believe that he does it and I have seen him do it in my life. But this is not an always situation. But we can still find hope this morning. Yes, we would love for him to speak quiet, be still in the storms of our lives. But what we can trust in is that he gives us comfort in the storm and that we are not alone. When we lost our daughter, Josette, it hurt so badly that I thought no one else could understand the depth of hurt that I felt besides my wife. And there would be no way that anyone could understand what we felt. But God's comfort quickly reminded us that he knows exactly how it felt. He knew exactly what it meant to lose a child. He knew exactly how it felt. And and the reason why Jesus, incarnate Jesus, Jesus the human, Jesus came to earth to live a perfect sinless life was not just to live as an example or a substitute for us, but it was his ability to understand everything that we have experienced, all the ranges of emotion in our lives. He fully understands. He was tempted in every way that we were. He hurt in every way that we hurt. And we don't have an unsympathetic God this morning. We have one who understands how we feel, and he is moved by his love for us. 
In fact, God is so aware of our need for comfort that before he ascended into heaven, we are told that he sent the parakletos. He sent the comforter, the Holy Spirit. The word parakletos literally means the one who comes alongside us to help and support us, supporting us so much that when we are in our deepest, darkest hurt and we don't have the words to say, he prays and intercedes for us. The name Elroy here has a very subtle but necessary partner word in the definition of the name. Most of us undoubtedly understand God as comforter, but his full, means, his full name means the God who brings both comfort and guidance. I'm thankful that in God's comforting of us, he also brings guidance, which means he shows us the way to healing and moving forward. And if he doesn't stop the storm, he does show us the way out of the storm. We don't just stay in our pain, but God shows us a path out. I wonder if that's why in verse 40, Jesus, after Jesus calms the storm, he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? It's safe to assume that this is the part of the guidance of Jesus, a way for him to remind them that when you are with me, you have no reason to fear. I will show you the way out of the storm. If today you find yourself in an overwhelming storm, I pray that you will cling to El Roy, the God that sees your trouble and gives guidance and comfort. Yes, cling to God for comfort, but also cling to him for guidance as well. It is both in comfort and guidance that we find hope, a hope that, will, that we will not stay in the storm forever, a hope that one day heaven will come to earth. And as we see, as it says in Revelation, that one day he will wipe away every tear from every eye. I believe that when we call out to God in the storm, we don't need to question whether he cares that we're drowning. In fact, we cry out to him because we know that he cares and he gives us comfort and guidance. God's guidance ultimately points us to this realization. This was not the design this was not his plan from the beginning. This is not heaven, and our hope cannot be found in the things of this world. In John chapter 11, we're told about a story of how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And I don't point to this story again this morning to, to remind you that Jesus has the ability to raise people from the dead because I 100% believe that he does. But I believe this interaction with Jesus will help us become more aware of the heart of God and help us better understand who it is and what it is that we put our hope in. There's this wonderful verse in the Bible for all of those of you who struggle with memorizing scripture, and it's referred to lovingly as the shortest scripture in the Bible. It's found in John chapter 11, verse 35. Many of you know it, and it is, Jesus wept, right? So if you can't memorize scripture this morning, this is a great one to cling to, and my hope is that as you understand what this means, it will actually bring encouragement to your life as well. Once you learn what these two words mean, there will be hope for us to cling to. Now keep in mind, at this point in the story, as Jesus is going to, to the, the grave of Lazarus, he's already passed away. He's the brother of Mary and, and Martha, and their friends have gathered together, and they're grieving together because Lazarus has been lost. And Jesus is very close to this family. This is one of those families that has been with him for the long haul in ministry. And so as he gets to them, he knows he's already passed. And Jesus at this point already knows the miracle that he's about to perform. 
Jesus knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, his disciples and the, and, and the loved ones around him didn't know. Even though he told them, I'm going to wake him up, they didn't know what that meant. They didn't understand what that meant. And yet, when he sees his friends and the hurt and the pain and the grief that they're in, why is it that he wept? In verse 11, verse 33, it tells us that when he saw Mary and Martha and he saw the others wailing, a deep anger welled up within him. And again, in verse 38, as he approached the tomb, again, he was angered. The Greek word here for that anger that's being referred to is the, is the word imbrimeoi, which gives us a picture of a deep grief that embodies both sympathy and anger. Literally, this word means to snort with anger. My guess is you understand that term. Jesus was so grieved and so angered by the misery that's the result of sin. Not, not specifically Lazarus's sin, but the sin of all people who have turned their back on God, who, who walk away from God, who, who rebel against and, and offend God. He is so angered by the result of sin, death being the most severe consequence, that he snorts with anger. And when he sees the hurting people that he loves so much, he, he wept. This is Jesus feeling the weight of sin, the weight of the fall, the violation and the disintegration of the way things were meant to be, the way God had intended to live in a perfect relationship with us. The most significant result of the death of our daughter Josette was my awareness of the caustic, poisonous effects of sin in the world that we live in. I became so aware of how it permeated so many things. This perfect daughter of ours who was not old enough to sin, much less cause something that would take her life. And yet the sin that we live in and the world that we live in is not what God's plan was. And to snort with anger at sin and the way that it affects the people that I love and the people in our lives, we begin to see the heart of Jesus and it moved him to weep because this was not his plan. Once again, in the incarnate Lord, we see the heart of the Lamb of God who offered his life to overcome sin and death. And I believe in that snort that he had. It was, this, it was this anger at sin, yes, but almost an indignation of what was about to happen on the cross to once and for all take care of sin. If our worship team wants to come forward. Let's take a moment to clarify something for you, though. Moving forward in our grief and finding comfort does not mean that one day we will no longer miss our loved ones or no longer feel their absence. You see, grief never ends, but it does change. Grief is a passage, not a place to say, stay. Grief is not a sign of weakness or lack of faith. Grief is the price of love. And so as we pray and as we ask God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we say as it is in heaven, we are saying the way God intended things to be, the way that they will one day be when Jesus returns and heaven comes to earth. It is our future hope for sure, but it is also our present hope. It is our future hope that, that awaits for us in heaven, but it's also our present hope in the person and work of Jesus, who even right now is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. 
moving through the Holy Spirit to bring us guidance and comfort. The very passage that Dave referred to this morning, I want to read with you, for you this morning from the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it's a snapshot of Revelation 21, and it says this. And as the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying because all of those things are gone. Yes, they are gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye. And a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says, look, I am making all things new. In this hope we find comfort because he is El Roy, the God who sees us, who gives us comfort, but he is also the God who gives us guidance. We can have hope today Comfort to know that we are not alone in the storm and guidance to see our way out of the storm. But we also have hope for tomorrow. Comfort to know that the storm will not last forever and that we have a guide that we can place our hope on if we keep our eyes fixed on him and that one day he will restore all things and all the sad things will become untrue. Whether you realize it or not, he is what your hoping heart is searching for. Because what you're really looking for is life. Real, heart-changing, heart-satisfying life. Life to the fullest, life abundant. See, people can love and respect you, but they can't give you life. Situations can make your life easier, but they can't give you life. Locations can bring changes to your life, but they can't give you life. Even achievement can be temporary, temporarily satisfying, but they can't give you life. True lasting hope is never found horizontally. It's only found vertically at the feet of the Messiah, the one who is hope. So we place our heart and our hope in him today. Yes, my hope is in heaven but I can put my hope in heaven because I have found hope in Jesus. One of the ways we remind our, our hearts of hope is to sing songs, to reflect on words of songs. And this morning, we're gonna sing a song as we get ready to close. And, and, and we also wanna have the opportunity to pray with you. So we'll have our prayer team up here as well. But if you are in need of hope this morning, we can put our trust and our faith in Jesus. And we wanna pray for you that if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. And if you are in need of strength this morning, if you are in need of someone to come alongside you and comfort you, to pray with you, uh, then we want to do that as well. But if you'd stand with me as we worship this morning in response to God's hope.